Welcome to Real Faith with Robbie and Shell. Today, you are listening to Faith FM Radio, and we are super excited to have you with us today. How are you going today, Shell? Really good. That is excellent news. Thank you so much for coming on and helping us out on the radio show today. We're super excited to have you involved. That's all and, right. Um, yeah. What's been happening in your world? You guys are getting ready for something or not something? Oh, we've been carrying floor all day. Carrying floors. <laughs> so how are you guys going with the whole housing renovations? Yeah, good. Um, we're just trying to get a extra room upstairs. So oh, that sounds the, interesting. It's like a loft room it'll be. So, oh, cool. Yeah. Very cool. That'll be exciting. So it's taken several months for Lyle to prepare it, to make it strong enough and everything to be able to handle the weight of the room and yeah, and just moving pillars around and this and that. And yeah, we finally have enough to be able to put the floor down. So we were dragging the sheets of floor up. Oh, exciting. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of hard work. Yeah. Isn't that the way? It's like, it's, it's, it's kind of like when you're in high school, you think, oh man, as soon as I get to adulthood, it's going to be so free. I won't have to show up for classes anymore. I won't have to do this. And then you get to university and honestly, university is probably the freest time of your life in the Western world, <laughs> as long as you've got finances covered for it. Otherwise, it's, it's not easy at all. Yeah. But the, uh, the real world hits and then all of a sudden you realize that once you leave school, you don't really get time off the way that you used to with school holidays and summer holidays. It's like, oh man, my time off turns into fixing the house and fixing the car and all of those things. It keeps you busy, doesn't it? It does indeed. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, today, I was on my way here and I thought to myself, man, I need to go to Bunnings. I've got, I've got 20 minutes extra spare to go before I can get into the radio. And I thought, man... I, I, I recently was refiberglassing a little boat so that I could go rowing in Lake yeah. Macquarie. And uh, I took it out, and the second day I used it, I cracked a hole in the seat uh, from... It's, it's an old, very old boat that I found and fixed. And so today I went and bought some timber slats. I don't have to carry them up and down houses, but I'm going to use that to try and fix the seat on the boat. So, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of fun things that can happen with, um, you know... Kind of home repairs, project repairs. It's good to have things to do, though. Yeah, so it's it's for a lot of people hard to only spend twenty minutes in Bunnings, though. So you did well. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I did. I did very well because I didn't want to spend all my money on there. So I thought I'd get what I needed and go. But yeah, so we're super excited to have you guys along today for the show. We've got a great show lined up for you. We are continuing today our. In the beginning series. So going through the first bit of Genesis, and today we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 4 and 5, looking at the story of Cain and Abel, and a little bit after that, we're going to be hearing also today from my good friend Akil, who's going to share with our Testify segment, and it's going to be a great time today. So stick around. You won't want to miss it. We're excited to share that with you. This is Matthew Mole, You and Your Crown.
hearts from the fire They're leading themselves into A world apart There's a new restart If you simply choose And I know I'm going to a better place And I hope that you are too Protected and leading Don't be heeding These lies proceeding through Every direction you're leading It's you who knows the truth And the meaning of life So we're protected and leading on You fall down In the light In the blinding light Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Shell. You are listening to Faith FM Radio, and we're super excited to have you with us. It's just about that time to find out some weird and wonderful facts about the world that we live in. But before we get to that, I just wanted to let you know that we are having at the end of the show our question of the week session, and uh, we would love to hear from you. Any questions that you've got about God, the Bible, spirituality, the journey of faith, any of those kinds of things, and you can send those in, and we would love to engage with you and try and answer those questions for you. You can do that by calling 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or you can text us at 0491-064-669. And the first caller in today is going to receive a free copy of a book called The Power of a Promise, which talks about the amazing covenant, the promise that God makes of salvation and how he has already committed to his end of the bargain. And, uh, it's a super exciting story and it's a super exciting book. So call in first and you can get your hands on that. So what do you have for us today, Shell? All right. Have you ever heard the phrase, Every cloud has a silver lining. Yes, I have. Yeah. Oh, I'm does so excited. That, does that give you a good impression of clouds or a bad impression of clouds? Um, well, the way that I've heard it used before is that, that clouds are usually a downer on the, the parade downer, and the silver right? lining is like the positive, right? That's right. Yeah. Is that, that's not the history gathering from the facial expression. No, you're no, at. I'm that, sure that it is. <laughs> but I just think that clouds often get a bad rap. They're usually always, you know... Used for sad emotions, or you know, they're, 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 yeah. When when you think of the cloud, it's not necessarily a good thing. But um, unless you're a really young person, and then when you think of the cloud, you're probably thinking of a place that you store stuff on the internet yes, away from right. your local computer, <laughs> and then people are excited about that. But I don't know if you saw today, but today's clouds were pretty awesome here in Newcastle. Yeah, tell me more. Um, I did see some. So when, I saw some rain clouds. Yeah, and when we was. Driving home, the the tree line, you had 
above it, like another like forest view of, but it was all white and just the clouds were like making another tree line behind the tree line. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Big old puffy cumulus clouds. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Well, um, cumulus clouds is kind of, I got a story that I wanted to share with you. I don't know if you've ever heard of, um, Lieutenant Colonel William Rankin. Have you ever heard of him? No, I don't think so. In in 1950, yeah, 1959, he was a Navy pilot, and he was um, doing a flight, and he checked the weather, everything seemed pretty good, um, but he decided to go above the cumulus cloud, and unfortunately, something terribly went wrong with his plane, and everything... Uh, just it was a catastrophic engine failure everything went down at once and he knew that it was an eject only situation and so he tried to get himself in a position where he could eject safely and he ejected from the plane and went into this magnificent cumulus cloud that was quite stormy at the time and he ended up just getting tossed around in this cloud. And he said it was like being beaten up by a whole bunch of lunatics. At, really? Yeah. Inside the cloud? Inside the cloud. Uh, that, that really surprises me. <laughs> I would have thought it would have been nice and cool and calm. No. And it, he wasn't sure that his um, uh, parachute was gonna, going to work or anything. And he was being just tossed back and forth and up and down and when he'd start to descend he'd all of a sudden just boom get shot back up and he's just being beat up around in here hailstones were hitting him and then yeah he looked down at his stomach and his stomach had swelled he looked like he was pregnant like nine months pregnant his stomach had just swelled out he was getting frostbitten already it was minus 50 degrees celsius and um yeah it was a pretty frightening experience. And then finally, his um, parachute worked, and then the lightning and the thunder started. Far out. <laughs> and, and, yeah, he looked at the back of his parachute, and it was just all aflame. It, it didn't catch on fire, but, yeah, he looked in it, and it was just bright with light, it, um, like a cathedral of light, he said. Um Finally, he descended and landed on the ground. His eyes, his ears, his mouth, his nose were all bleeding. And he broke a leg on his, on his fall in a tree. But other than that, he was okay. Wow. But being a good pilot like he was, when he ejected from the plane, he checked his clock, his watch. And when he landed, he checked it again. And... What should have t- taken him 15 minutes to descend took him 45 minutes. No way. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. Wow. So he was, yeah, he was in the air for 45 minutes. So, yeah, it's become one of the most famous um, yeah, parachuting stories as far as because he was just stuck in this cloud for wow. like half an hour. You kind of like... This is an amazing fun fact. This is this has kind of ruined all of my dreams of riding in the clouds that I've had since I was a kid. That sounds like a terrible place to be. But what a, what a crazy story. Yes. Um, but, yeah, um, thankfully, I, I don't know, I still think just clouds are cool, you know, because even, even when the tempests are raging, you just think it's just the magnificence of, of storms and different things, you know. But, yeah, it's a pleasure that we know the master of the wind, I guess. 
to Real Faith with Robbie and Shell. You're listening to Faith FM Radio and it's come that time of the show for our Testify segment where we hear from somebody's real life, present day stories of what God is doing in their lives. And today we've got one of my closest friends in the whole world, Akil Ashtaputre. Are you there, Akil? You. Yeah, I'm right here, man. Hey, so good to hear from you, brother. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself and then uh, we'll get right into your story. Sounds good. Well, um, well, my name is Akil, of course. I'm currently living in Canberra. This is my fourth year in Canberra. I'm the intern pastor here. Um, and I'm married to my beautiful wife, Maddie. It's been about a year and a half, and we're loving life at the moment. You! Congratulations, my yeah. friend. Very you good. Play, you know, you played at our wedding. You played it, our uh, this is song true. that you walked down the aisle to, yeah. and you played <laughs> the song for our first dance, and I loved it. Yeah, it was, it was good. It was a very good time. It was a very good time. Yeah. Oh man! So, what have you got for us on the story today? A time where you know God what? has done something. I, yeah, I'm. I'm really, I'm really blessed to be able to share this. To be honest, 
Um, I know I have six minutes. I'm starting my timer right now because I have the tendency to talk over time. Well, maybe set it for four um, and a half. <laughs> that's probably a good idea. <laughs> I, uh, you know what? I, so I'm an intern pastor, like I shared, and I think I'm convinced personally that God called me to ministry, of course, to reach other people, but also to reach me. I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced of that. And um, I was preparing a sermon for church last Sabbath, or the Sabbath before, I think, um, because somebody had asked me a question about uh, being unsure, you know, or having questions for God and, and what that looks like and kind of wrestling and debating with him. Mm. And um, I just kind of, I, I looked back in my life to an experience I had at the start of the year. Matter of fact, you were, you were a part of that conversation I was having. I was really wrestling, you know, with me and God and, in my relationship with him and, and just kind of going like, Hey, are you here? You know, are you like, I can't hear you. Where are you in the silence of my, my doubts, my anxieties, my worries. It seems like you're so distant. You're so far away. Mm. Um, and that really kind of shook me and quite a bit. It, it kind of startled me. I guess I thought, you know, Hey, I, I'm doing this. I, I work as a pastor. I'm sharing the good news of Jesus with everybody, but, but still like, Oh man, I, I'm not, I'm not invulnerable to doubts and anxieties that come with my relationship with God. Mm. And um, as I was preparing, I came across a Psalm, um, Psalm chapter 73 to be specific. And in Psalm 73, um, it's a Psalm by this guy named Asaph and he's going through some stuff, you know, he's, I think he's got some physical stuff going on there. Like his body's not working and he's kind of like, Hey, what have I, have I, he says specifically, have I washed my stuff? Have I done all these, Christian things, quote unquote, in vain. Like, have I just wasted my time because I'm looking around the world and there are people that are completely crazy, like living their lives in, in, in crazy ways. Some people would say, you know, throwing away with throwing it away with decisions that are not beneficial for them, but they seem to prosper. You know, they don't seem to have the same anxieties and worries and stresses as I do. I'm just kind of going, where are you, God? You know, I thought this was supposed to be something that made my life more fulfilling. Um, but you're not here. Uh, and then later on, Asaph says, I, all, I was feeling all these emotions of, of angst and worry and, and, and just kind of like really upset with God. But he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, which is, you know, like the house of God, it's like saying, hey, I knocked on your door or I, I came to visit you, God, or I just spent some time with you. And um, it's what, what, comes, what Asaph comes away with and something that I came away with is kind of like, an acute knowledge of how impermanent stuff is in our life, you know, like yeah, we were we have a throwaway culture. You know, my laptop doesn't last more than four years. My phone lasts two. Uh, my clothes last a year. You know, it's like it's so impermanent. And the things that we look at as successes, and we point to other people and say, "Man, how do they have all this money? And how do they have all that? And whatever it is that you know, you compare and say, "God, where are you?" Um. But the more time you spend with God, you realize that those things that you look at, that you base the metric on, is so impermanent, you know? Um, and, and the blessing I got of that is I don't have a hope for, you know, tons of money. I don't have hope for no problems. I don't have hope for a life that's not plagued with worries or anxieties. But what I have hope for is a life to come where that will never happen. Mm. Um, so, yeah, stuff's bad right now. But the promise I have is that stuff, there, there'll be a time, there'll be a point in time where I'll never have to deal with that again. So it kind of makes you think, you know, okay, what, what's a little, what's a couple of years of worry for an eternity of, of happiness and joy? Yeah. Um, 
puts it into perspective, and doesn't it? Really puts it into perspective, you know. And like my mom's a clinical psychologist, and she deals with uh, palliative care patients, and so many of them tell her so palliative care is like end of life care. And so when she's talking to people, you know, they, they keep talking about, you know, we, we, we accomplish so much in our careers or accomplish so much in our life, but you know, it's, it's so fleeting. It goes away so quickly and there's nothing eternal. And what I find that God provides you might not be with like money or things or, you know, fantastic relationships or incredible households, but it gives you something eternal to look forward to. And that's, I think more valuable than anything this world can afford or, or offer to me. That's so awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. Akil, is there anything that you'd like to say to our listeners before we, before we go? Yeah, absolutely. I'd encourage, you know what? I'd encourage you because this worked for me. I'd encourage you to, to kind of like ASAP says, I walked into the sanctuary of God, um, knock on his door, you know, or, or ask him to come and have a conversation with you. He says, come let us reason together. Um, and I encourage you to reason with God. You might be in a place where you think God's not for me or, you know, all this stuff's happening in my life. God, where are you? I'd encourage you to have that Asafian conversation where you sit down and say, hey, look, where are you, God? Help me see the permanence of life and not be fixated on the, the things that are impermanent. I love that. So take it right from the man. That's a great piece of advice and wisdom. Thank you so much, Akil, for your time. May God bless you. And uh, we'll talk to you soon.
make sure you tune into the breakfast show for giveaways, deep Bible discussions, magnificent music, and noteworthy news. All that and much more every weekday morning on Faith FM. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. If you're making a road trip up the coast, pop in just off the highway to New Start Juice at 45 William Street, Raymond Terrace. Grab yourself a fresh, healthy juice or smoothie and check out the op shop while you wait. And remember, every day is a fresh new start. not as real as it could be why you ask because this isn't the live show so as good as this is the live show is where it's really at join us every thursday from 3 30 to 5 30 p.m so you can be involved live there's a land that is fairer than day and by faith we can see it afar For the Father waits over the way To prepare us a dwelling place there In the sweet by and by We shall meet on that beautiful shore In the sweet by and by We shall meet on that beautiful shore We shall sing on that beautiful shore The melodious songs of the blessed And our spirits shall sorrow no more Not a sigh for the blessing of rest In the sweet by and by We shall meet on that beautiful shore In the sweet by and by We shall meet on that beautiful shore To our bountiful Father above We will offer our tribute of praise For the glorious gift of His love And the blessings that hollow our day In the sweet by and by We shall meet on that beautiful shore In the sweet 
by and by We shall meet on that beautiful shore In the sweet by and by We shall meet on that beautiful shore In the sweet by and by We shall meet on that beautiful shore We shall meet on that beautiful shore Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Shell. You're listening to Faith FM Radio. We're super stoked to have you with us. And it's come that portion of our show where we get into the good word and we're going to do a Bible study. So if you're following along in your Bible, you are welcome to join in uh, that way. Or if you're listening in in the car or somewhere else, you'll know where we are anyway. So we're going to be starting in the first book of the Old Testament, Genesis. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 4 and maybe a bit of chapter 5 today, depending on how time goes. And uh, that's where we're going to be starting today. But before we get into that, I just wanted to do another plug that if you you have any questions from today's show or from any other Bible question or spiritual question, we would love to hear from you. So we can get to that in our question of the week's uh, portion of the show at the end of the show. And, uh, any question that you would like to send in, you can do. And the first caller in today is going to receive a free copy of a book called The Power of a Promise. And last week we talked about the first promise that God made about the Messiah coming, the solution to the problem of sin and death in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. And uh, this book elucidates or, or enlightens a bit more about this topic about what God is doing in this promise, mm-hmm. his end of that bargain and what that really means. And it is super, super profound. So encourage you to call in with your questions. The first caller is going to receive a free copy of that. And you can do that by calling 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Mm-hmm. Or you can text us at 491 491- Zero six four double six nine zero four nine one zero six four double six nine, and uh, just before we get into our Bible study, let's have a word of prayer. Mm-hmm. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you so much for the gift of your word, and for the gift of the the privilege that we have to to have access to it. Many people don't, and so we just pray as we open your word that your Holy Spirit, who inspired that word would teach us to understand it so that we can come to you and experience a saving relationship with you and grow in you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All righty. So last week in our discussion about the fall of mankind, we, we discovered a couple of key things that I think are worth reviewing before we get into this. Humanity chose to, to, uh, to believe the lie that the devil put forward rather than to believe God. And when that happened, they and they and they ate of the forbidden fruit. Um, they experienced shame. They experienced guilt. They experienced vulnerability without security for the first time in in the history of the world, mm-hmm. right? And in this moment, it says that they realized that they were naked and they were ashamed, and they hid themselves from each other, and then they hid themselves from God. And we see this interaction take place in which humanity is not accepting responsibility and accountability for their actions, but they're trying to blame others. And um, in that space, the way that God interacts is incredibly profound. He doesn't come in, you know, thunderbolts and lightning. He comes in asking questions, gently providing the opportunity for the man and the woman who have engaged in sin or wrongdoing to 
I guess, admit and accept responsibility to confess, to acknowledge what they had done, to to be honest. And he comes in to investigate, not because he doesn't already know the answer, but to give them the privilege of being able to do that. Does that make sense? Yes. So that happens, and then the interaction goes on, and God makes the first promise, as we just mentioned before, of Messiah coming, saying that your seed coming from the woman— one of your lineage is going to be the one who is going to put an end to the rule of Satan in the world. The one who's going to put an end to sin and suffering and death. And that prophecy said that he, who was foreshadowing Jesus, was going to crush the head of the serpent, but the serpent, representing the devil, would bruise the heel of Jesus. So we had that happen in that chapter, and that brings us to... The end of that chapter, they were expelled from the garden. God sacrificed, you know, one or two, who knows how many, how many sheep to, or animals of some description to make clothing for them, to cover them, and they're expelled from the garden. And it said that they still could see the garden. They could see the barriers. There was, there were angels who were carrying flaming swords, um, is the way wow. it's described at the gate to the garden. And that's where we were left off. Now, just just an interesting side note. Can you imagine what it would be like to have gone out of that experience and to be experiencing cold and shame and guilt and all of these new things that are not great things and to still be able to actually see these angelic beings? It wasn't like they didn't have any access to, to seeing these things anymore. Well, I mean, we've all done things that we're deeply ashamed of, but... Just that level of everything changing because of one act that you did, you know, just seeing the first leaf fall mm. and, you know, just the, that, that little hint of death and having that animal have to die just so that you can be clothed now. All of these things would have just been just a horrific experience for them emotionally to go through, knowing that they were the cause of it, but yet... Um, Jesus would have been being so tender and merciful still, you know, and such a great friend to them through all of this experience. Yeah, it's just the emotional roller coaster ride of it all. Oh, fully. Because imagine this, like, this just stuck out to me from what you said. They would see that the, the consequences, the outflow of their decision to disobey God did not just impact them. It impacted the whole of the world. Right, yep. The whole of creation is now experiencing slow decay and death when it was never intended to exist that way. Yep. And so they're seeing the full reality starting to sink in, even from the falling of a leaf. Yep. And so they're experiencing that. Just to, you know, nature and all of the different animals that would have been just gentle as lambs, all of them are now starting to pick on different personalities as well you know you're starting to get aggressive animals and did all of these different things that are gonna be a result they would have seen all of that transition in probably a short amount of time yeah just because of that one decision that one bad decision that's right that's right so it has large consequences. All right, so we're going to jump into Genesis chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 1. And Shell, could you read for us verse 1 through verse 5? Yes. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep. 
But Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Awesome. Okay, so there's... There's a lot going on in this passage already. Something that's super interesting to note here is that it says Adam knew his wife, meaning they they had intercourse, they conceived, and she conceived and bore Cain. Now, interesting to note here, it says that she names the child Cain, which means in Hebrew either acquire or gotten, like as in I have gotten this this child. And it, it says here, she says, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Now, that's the English translation, but the, the Hebrew literally reads, literally reads, I have acquired a man, the Lord. And what's interesting to note there is that it is very possible that Eve expected that this Messiah that would be, that would be, that had been promised just in a chapter earlier was now arriving, mm. right? She perhaps is expecting that this is going to be the Messiah. Yeah. Little does she know what's it's about to happen, yep, yep. right? And how horrific and, and heartbreaking it would be to discover that this was certainly not the Messiah that was promised. He was not coming yet and having to deal with the consequences of sin for so much longer. So she has these two boys. They're born. Um, and it comes time that they're going to offer something to the Lord. They're going to give a thank offering to God. What's really interesting about this is that they give two different things. Now, on the surface level, it just kind of looks like, well, well Cain, he, he's a keeper of the soil, so he's going to just bring that. And because Abel's a, yeah. a, a shepherd, he's going he's gonna to bring fruits of his, his labor, you know, lambs. But what's really interesting to note here is that sacrifice had already been instituted, right? In the very chapter before, we see that God sacrifices an animal. They had understood that an innocent victim was offered in order to provide cover in the place of someone who had sinned, right? And so what's really interesting is that as you watch this take place, both of them would have had an inkling of this, an understanding that, hey, this is more than just giving a little bit of thanks by offering whatever I've got. This is actually an opportunity for me to recognize the way that salvation is going to take place. This is going to require sacrifice where, where blood is necessary to cover sin. We see that in Leviticus 17.11, it says, the life is in the blood. We see also that in comment on this in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4, Paul's writing here, and he says that this very interesting statement, he's talking about all these people who exercised faith in the Old Testament, and one of them is Abel, and it says in Hebrews 11 verse 4, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Well, why is that? Well, 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 if they were both just supposed to give of what they did for a living, then it should be exactly the same. And yet, God responds very negatively towards Cain's offering and very positively towards Abel's. What is the reason? And here Paul says that by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. So something about the what he was offering demonstrated that he was he was offering the right kind of offering. And what's interesting to note here is that what he was offering was the firstborn 
because the, the wording here matches the wording in Exodus speaking of the same topic. He was offering the firstborn of his flock, which we find throughout Scripture, particularly throughout the Old Testament prior to the coming of Christ, um, prior to the, the death and resurrection of Christ, I should say, that the sacrifice of the firstborn lamb, the firstborn ox, all of these different cattle, this was what was given. These are the things that were given in sin offerings. Yeah. And so the firstborn had some sort of significance. That's exactly right, because it's pointing forward to the firstborn Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was going to be the ultimate offering for sin that all of this was pointing forward to. And so why is God upset about what's going on in this sacrifice? Well, he's upset because he sees something that's going on. Abel is giving a genuine, heartfelt offering, understanding and demonstrating faith that, God, I need you to rescue me. And so I'm going to give an offering in the same way that offering was made to cover my parents. Right? I'm giving this offering that's pointing forward to the Messiah that's going to come and offer his life for us. Now Cain's offering is not an offering of faith in that same thing. His is an offering of, I'm just going to give whatever it is that I want to give. Yep. I'm going to give of my own works. I'm going to give of my own efforts because I don't need you to save me. I can save myself. And that's, that's the undercurrent that's going on in this story. Yeah, wow. So when you read this, it then goes on to verse 5. He did not respect Cain and his offering. Now here's a point that I think is really worth noting. Sometimes when we... When, when a wrong is pointed out in our life that we have done, when we have failed to meet a standard, when, when we have pretended to do something and we're caught out, what's the typical response, right? What, what kind of emotional response would you naturally have to that? Get defensive. Get defensive. And that's exactly what happens. Why? Why do we do that? Because sometimes even when we know we're in the wrong, we still can't accept it in our own self. It's not necessarily a dishonest thing immediately. It's just a reaction that, of, um, protection, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Just trying to protect yourself, but then, then it just turns into this grand uh, illusion, you know, that just becomes a big lie that you're just, uh, yeah, fighting against. That's exactly right, and that's what's going on here. Notice Cain's response. Cain has an opportunity. God identifies what's already inside his heart. He he knows that this is not the right thing. He knows that he's not giving to God what is required, right? The exercise of faith would demonstrate that I did what God had asked, right? Yep. Not to just give whatever I want and expect that God's going to do whatever he's going to do. Fine, right? Like, he's searing, I'm sorry, I'm losing my thought here. He's sitting in this position and his response could be one of two things. He could say, you're right. I acknowledge that I was wrong yep. and respond positively to that and has an opportunity for change. Or he could respond defensively and get angry, which is exactly what he does, and he could use that as an opportunity to walk further away from God. And this is the challenge, because a lot of the time when we are confronted with our own wrongdoing, we are given the exact same circumstance. We can choose to either identify the wrong and confess and repent, or we can try and hide it and defend and get angry and try and push blame. And this is what we see Cain doing, the second option. It's sort of the um, the hardening of the heart that we hear about in, in a couple other stories in the Bible. That's exactly right. Have hard, or it says God has hardened their heart, but it's not God that's hardening the heart. It's that, it's that battle that you're just describing right there, and they choose the, to harden their own heart. Oh, 
with God. I come and help me free. I like to shine upon the road leading to the Lamb. Where is that blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Where is that soul refreshing view of Jesus and His Word? Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Shell. You're listening to Faith FM Radio. And before we get back into our Bible study, just another shameless plug. We'd love to hear from you for our question of the week portion of the show. And the first caller in today is going to receive a free copy of a book called The Power of a Promise. 
which talks about the power of God's promise to save and what it is that he's doing in that promise. Uh, it's a great opportunity. You'll want to get that. So if you are the first caller in, you can get that by sending in any question that you've got. You can do that at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or you can text us at 491 All righty. So let's keep reading. Let's read from verse 6 through verse 7. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at your door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Super fascinating. I love what's going on here. Notice the way that God responds. Like God says, hey, uh, or well, it doesn't say that he says, hey. It says that, it says that in some way he was displeased with Cain's offering. It doesn't say how he demonstrated that exactly, but he was displeased. He was not pleased with Cain's offering. Cain responds by being angry. And it says his countenance has fallen. In other words, his, his facial expression demonstrates what's going on inside, that he is very upset. Yep. And then what's very fascinating is we see the pattern that happened before in Genesis chapter three of God responding to humanity's failings not with anger and aggression but with a question and so he comes here for cain's benefit and he says why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen and then he explains something to him he says if you do well will you not be accepted now what's he indicating here he's saying you didn't do well Mm -hmm. there's something in the offering that you gave that was not from the right motive, it wasn't the right intention, it wasn't the right method, which is indicating that not not the offering itself was the problem, but what, what was behind the offering was the problem. And so he identifies that to Cain, and he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And then he says, if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. And I love what he's saying there, because if we, what, what, what we often don't realize is that little things matter. Right, you don't become a murderer one decision all of a sudden. As the perfect example in this story, it happens little by little. Little decisions lead to bigger decisions, and the same is true of most sins. Most wrongs that we commit, we don't start off one day and we've become some some big bad terrible sinner in the in, in our in our eyes. But we start step by step, and it leads to the next step, to the next step, to the next step. And he's giving him some very profound advice. Hey, do well in these little things. Don't try and cut corners and do this, but but do the right thing here now because otherwise sin's waiting at the door and if we don't learn to master these things at the small steps, we'll never master things at the big steps. Yeah, exactly. Now at this point, Cain's been a little bit rebuffed, a little bit rebuked, and there's opportunity here. God's doing this for his betterment, for his opportunity to repent, to change. But notice what happens next. Let's read from verse 8 through verse 9. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. I Am I my brother's keeper? Alright, check this out. This is super fascinating. Did you notice there was a word that popped up there a few times, over and over again? How many times did we need to hear that he was his brother? Oh, uh, yes. Right? Isn't that interesting? It's fascinating to know, like, the, the word his brother shows up like six times in this little passage, right? Not just yep. these verses, but this yep. passage. It's like it's about six times well, from memory. Four times just in those two verses. Right? Yeah. So, Abel, your brother. 
So he, he, there's something that's going on here textually. He's trying to say, hey, look, this is your brother. It's your brother. You're killing not just some stranger. This is your flesh and blood, your brother. And what's really interesting to note here is that sin has a big impact, and it doesn't, it doesn't just have small impact, right? It, this is only the second generation of human beings, and already we're seeing murder take place. And not just murder, but murder of your sibling, right? He's murdered his brother in cold blood, his little brother. Like, this is full on. For what? Because he did the right thing. And because you did the wrong thing, you're jealous, and you're trying to deal with all of this, and to take it out, you kill him. This is, this is, this is crazy, right? Like, how do you go from, I ate from a tree, to this in one generation? Well, the answer, I think, is just that this is the nature of sin. Sin always leads to more sin. And so this is what we see happening in this story. And then God comes down, and notice God, again, doesn't come down with thunderbolts and lightning. He comes down and he says, hey, um, where is Abel, your brother? And at this point, Cain responds by saying what? He says, I don't know. Yeah, right? Am like, I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? He's so had... Yeah. Cheeky, being cheeky to God. Right? Like, So he's <laughs> trying to cover up his tracks. He's doing the same thing that his parents did. He's not accepting accountability or responsibility for his actions. Yep. And then at this point, God responds with verse 10 through 12. And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you are when you till the ground, it shall be no longer it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the land. Okay, so in Genesis chapter three, God cursed the serpent, God cursed the ground, but he did not curse any human being. This is the first time that it says God curses a person. Right? And notice what the curse is. The curse is saying to Cain, who's whose occupation was to be a tiller of the soil, a farmer, essentially. He says, hey, you're going to be cursed from the ground. You're not going to be able to be a farmer anymore. This thing was the thing that he loved more than anything else, right? This was the thing that he was willing to kill his brother over was so that it was all around this thing, this thing that he loved, that he put above God, that he put above life itself with family, right? Yep. And what's really interesting to note is that when God curses him, he says, hey, you're going to go wander. You're going to have to squander your living, not by being a farmer, but by being something else. You might have to be a shepherd like your brother was. You might have to be some sort of nomadic um, you know, hunter-gatherer or something, but you're going to be in a different kind of situation in terms of getting your food. Notice that what God is doing is he's actually removing the very thing that is the idol in Cain's life. His career, it was his his pride. He was very proud of what he did. That's exactly right. God's curse is actually a blessing in disguise, right? He's removing from Cain the very thing that was the idol that caused him to sin. Isn't that interesting to note? God's way of dealing with Cain is to say, I'm going to remove this thing from you. Life's going to be different. It's going to be hard. But God's doing this to give Cain an opportunity to change. Isn't that interesting? I love this. I love this, that God is interested in even Cain after this time, Yeah. that he's interested in his redemption. All right, let's keep reading from verse 13 on. Okay, I've just changed Bible versions here because 
That King James was a little bit too hard on my eyes. That's all right. It's very small print. So, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so 13... 13 to 15. 13 to 15. Cain replied to the Lord, My punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord replied, No, for I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Awesome. All right, so what's, anything jump out to you in that little passage there? God's still looking out for him. Yeah. This is profound, right? Like, yeah. Notice, notice what does Cain say before before we get to that? We'll, we'll touch on that in a second. But before we get to that, what does Cain say? His punishment is too great. Oh, my iniquity, my punishment, it's too much for me. Yeah. It's too much. Of, I won't be able to see your face. I'll be cast out from the ground. And then he says, anyone who sees me will kill me. You know, it's really interesting to think. that He's just <laughs> responsible for the first human death. And his thought is that because I have done this, other people will do the same thing to me. Notice that his perception of reality has shifted because of what he has done. Yeah. All of a sudden, he's assuming that everyone else is going to be just like he was, and when they see him, they will want revenge, and that they will kill him. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, wow. Well, I mean, I was thinking of it just from a self-preservation side, but it's just it's way more than that. Yeah, there's no precedent for this in human history until, except what he has just done. Nobody else even knows about it. And here he is already assuming that everyone else is going to be like him and going to treat him the way that he treated others. And we see this, this kind of happening around the world that we, when we give in to certain things and we start to choose certain lifestyles, we expect that other people are going to treat us with the same level of distrust, dishonesty, and harm that we gave to others. And I think it's fascinating that this is the result that sin has. Notice also, like you said, God is actually in the business of doing something incredibly generous. Like, why didn't God just turn around and boom? See you, Cain. Well, he, yeah, he's already been generous to two other major figures in this story. It's yeah, that's Satan right. Satan in heaven and, and well, Adam and Eve as well. Yeah. So, three, I guess. He's allowing them to, to have opportunity to either repent or to live out the consequences of their actions. And it's super fascinating to me that, that when he does this, he says, hey, look, let me give you assurance. I'm, gonna, I'm giving you amnesty. Why would God give amnesty to this person? And I think that the reason that he's giving amnesty to him is for the sake of his opportunity to repent. God is demonstrating that, hey, I'm not here to, to be a harsh judge. I'm here to help and to provide opportunity for people to repent, to turn, and to live. What they choose to do with that is up to them. But this is the opportunity that he gives to Cain. And then there's a transition that happens in chapter 4. And where we continue on, it goes through the next, between here and, and chapter 6, it actually goes through and talks a bit about the, the family descendants of Cain and then the descendants of Adam's other line that comes soon after. So let's jump into verse 16 and let's just continue reading on there. I'll just, I'll just interrupt you when, we're, when I think it's a good time. Okay, so, so Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain had sexual relations with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Then Cain founded a city, which he named Enoch after his son. Enoch had a son named Irad. 
Irad became the father of Mahujael. Just guess. Nobody knows how they're pronounced anymore anyway. And he became the father of Methuselah. Methuselah became the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women. The first was named Ada, and the second was Zillah. Ada gave Ada gave birth to Jabel, who was the first of those who raised livestock and was um, to raise livestock and live in tents. All right, we'll pause there. Okay. Okay, so there's a lot going on here, right? Lots so, of generations. That's right. So Cain goes out from the presence of the Lord, and he dwells in the land called Nod, which is to the east of where the Garden of Eden was. He continues to have uh, progeny. He has a wife. He has kids. They go on to have kids, etc. And notice that by the seventh generation, from Adam down to Lamech, we already see polygamy, polyamorous relationships starting to come into the into the the picture, right? Like. It's interesting that in just such a short space of time, we see from Adam and Eve's decision to disobey God, to walk out of his design, out of his will, we now see the very next generation murder takes place. And then within seven generations, we're seeing, we're seeing the, the introduction of, of sexual immorality coming into the mixture. We're seeing all sorts of things start to take place in yeah. a short space of time. And the story would be so fresh and being told all the time. I mean, by Adam and Eve... Still, I would imagine, you know, just um, telling uh, how bad sin is and their experience and what it's what it's caused. Yeah. But just because they're living in it, and and it's just so much easier to fall into, I guess. Totally, and and not only that, but like when, when you look at the story, you got to remember that Eden is still in existence. They can still go to the garden, and they can still actually see. Angels guarding, guarding the gate it. of the garden. It's not like this is just some, I've got doubts and secular things going on in my head. Like they, they literally know what's going on and they can see that. 